Welcome back to the Jawadi Jokum podcast. Today we're talking about cloud computing. So cloud computing was really a huge game changer when it actually, when Amazon came out with it. Um, and I made like a post on this on the Jawadi Jokum Instagram, but here I want to go a little bit more in depth. But you should uh, follow us on if you are. Yes, of course. Most definitely you guys should. Yeah, a lot of great content, a lot of great value posts too there. I it's, try and uh, like, the JJ podcast, I believe, is our username. Yeah. I wanted to change it to Habit Engineers. Little side note. I wanted to float that idea by you. I've been meaning to talk about it, but, I, you know, um, it's something to talk about, something to think about. Not the name of the podcast, but the name of the Instagram. Just because yeah. I have that name, like, secured on another Instagram, and I thought that that would be more of, like, a viral name and easier to find. And we can, I feel we like can it's plug kind both. of, like... Plug yeah, both. Yeah. We could do them both uh, separately. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyways, that's a separate issue to talk about. Um, I don't want to get too off topic. So, cloud computing. So the re- so cloud computing is incredibly important for. It's the thing is big organizations like multi billion dollar companies they're using it. But what it really changed like the game for was startups because these companies they would like get that have their business idea. You know, they'd go from idea and they were forced to raise venture capital. And the reason why is because they had to buy servers. And they had to buy databases because, you know, any real company that's operating, like they need a, like these CRM technologies, like to keep like records of their customers. And then they track like it, the other thing is like it's crazy the amount of data that they track. Like it's it's nuts, bro. Like the thing is, people know it's nuts, but it's even more nuts than you think. Like even like startup companies now, they, they have like these things that you can like it's like a heat map on your website, you know, where it shows like where the user moves and like their exact behavior. And it's totally legal. And it goes like even crazier than that, but let's not get too off topic again. Uh, but yeah, so I think Amazon, they released on, so in the early two thousands, what happened was so Amazon, they're known for like operating on their shoestring budget, right? Like Jeff Bezos, he's known for his frugality. Like the man makes the desks in Amazon headquarters out of like doors because it's substantially cheaper. You know, they manufacture it themselves. Like he's really frugal just in spite of like the massive amounts of revenue that they make. And so the the way Amazon is kind of run is like a giant startup. So, you know, they have like these small teams where they go and they pursue different ideas. They're given like a shoestring budget and they go and pursue it. And so one of the, and it, the thing is that most people don't realize is it's actually like a technical company. Like Amazon is a company of like computer scientists more than anything else. That's what I realized. And the book, it, anybody who wants to really dive deep into Amazon, the everything store is an absolutely fascinating book. That's where I'm getting a lot of the information that I'm relaying to you guys here. Um, but anyway, so going to the story of how cloud computing came to be. So one of the teams with Amazon was, um, that he was Jeff Bezos. He assigned them to like a, a technical task, you know, like he uh, got like a whole bunch of these engineers and coders and they were like working on this project in the background and they didn't have the resources. And so they complained and it got to Jeff Wilk, who was like the COO at the time. And then Jeff Wilk was like Jeff Bezos's best friend. And he told him, and then it like Jeff Bezos, once he got involved, he realized that there was a whole issue like throughout the organization of all of these teams come like, having these projects with the shoestring budgets that didn't have enough resources as far as like computer power. So what he decided to do was to tackle the problem was he decided he would build their own in-house like wireless kind of like computer servers that they could access. And 
that's how cloud computing was born. So Jeff Bezos, he inv- invested like, I don't know, a couple millions into like building this infrastructure that they could use. And so it was actually designed for Amazon Teams initially, though. But it became so useful. And Jeff Bezos, like having the crazy entrepreneurial mind that he does, he realized there's a need for this. If our company needs it, imagine how many others probably need it. And so he started, uh, I think, maybe uh, around 2010, give or take a few years, um, plus or minus a few years. He launched AWS, which was basically a service that offers this infrastructure that's available over the web to these companies. And it was a complete game changer because now these startup companies, they could literally like buy this infrastructure from Amazon and they didn't have to buy like, you know, they just pay for what they use. So instead of buying massive systems like that would probably cost millions of dollars, it's like they're, they're literally paying exactly for what they need. And it, yeah, it's really crazy what it has done because then um, it, it became a huge industry. And so then Microsoft saw what was going on. Amazon had full market share because they were the first to market and it was like their idea, you know. But then Microsoft saw and Microsoft has a lot of like the same technical technological capabilities. They're a technology company as well. And so they they realized that there was like a space for them, too. So they came up with Azure, which is their thing. And uh, at first, it didn't capture like a huge amount of the market. But then, you know, they caught up or not fully yet, but they're now the second biggest player. And then like to give you an idea of who else is in it, Google is the number three spot. And so they have their cloud services as well. So Amazon is still the number one spot as far as like offering this infrastructure for rent. But, you know, they're still, they're no, uh, like, like I said in the post, they're not, it's not a monopoly, you know, and Azure is actually comparable. Like my dad, he works very intimately with these types of systems because he's into data. Um, that's like what he does. Mm. So he's t- he was telling me um, Azure is like as good, if not better, you know, in some re- regards. So it's not like a, a one player game anymore. It's not a one one pony. When looking at Amazon, like from a stock perspective, I remember looking at all their different businesses. And then I remember lo- this is before like they reached the valuation they were. This is maybe like three years ago. I remember looking at Amazon Web Services, which is AWS, and thinking, like, this is just going to be... And and even three years ago, people weren't really giving that a whole lot of, you know, like, the respect it actually deserves. I thought that their web services business is going to be probably their biggest business in a few years, man. It, it's just incredible. It's huge, yeah. It's massive. With and also, just a side note one moment that really like set a light bulb off when i was like yeah this is like huge when when i was watching um some bundesliga games and they had like uh stats that were like powered through amazon web services like they like and not just like not just like you know possession stats but like expected goal stats which is like it's rare to to see um you know, I'd call that like a deeper stat. You know, it's not like a you, your top lying stat. It's a bit, it's it's gained more traction recently, but it's a little bit underground still. So to see them like a little bit more you, of like a technical one. Yeah, to to see AWS providing those like in game, like while the game is going on, in game expected goals numbers is yeah, that's pretty powerful. 
Yeah, so what they did when uh, when they wanted to come up with, like, the services, so Jeff Bezos literally bought, like, all of these computers, like, the cheapest ones he possibly could for the money, and he just literally got, like, a warehouse, and he filled them up with all of this computation power, you know? And from there, like, he put them all together, and before they knew it, like, they were using all of it, you know, especially when they started selling it. So then it, it just became, like, a constant development. So he had to basically create a system where he could just keep adding as many computers as he needed and, like, uh, with no, like, limit as far as how far it could go. Um, it's really crazy. And then I wanted to also bridge, use this as, like, a little bit of a bridge to talk more about Amazon because they absolutely fascinate me. Um, the way – so Amazon – they kind of have adopted a little bit of Costco's or like the wall. I shouldn't say Costco's philosophy because Amazon's like a juggernaut, you know, and Costco, like they're big too, but Amazon dwarfs them, you know, but Walmart, because Walmart was really the first one. Walmart was the one to come up. Walmart with like the was like the philosophy. competitor of like, do you remember? I mean, probably we don't remember this, but I remember reading like a few reports like in 2009 and 2010, people are like, oh yeah, Amazon will never like compete with walmart ever they'll never touch walmart all these things just sorry yeah it was a fierce fierce competition yeah yeah um and so when it comes to like the so yeah actually they talk a lot about that in the book the everything story uh a lot about like that little competition that little rivalry they had going on there um what what were we talking about (laughs) I, i believe you were talking about amazon web services no and and well, yeah yeah um you're talking about the competition with costco and walmart but costco to a lesser degree. right right yes 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 okay um yeah so walmart so yeah so walmart was like the first one to really make discounting like bring it in mass right that's that was their philosophy um that's another great book sam walton's biography or autobiography uh but essentially, for those that don't know what it is, is like he basically took the retail stores and the idea before was, OK, well, we're going to make our money in the margins. We're going to have big margins and that's how we'll make our money. So let's say he bought like, you know, a cap, like, you know, and it was like the cost was like one dollar. They might sell it for like ten dollars and they'll make like the nine dollar margins, which is beautiful, you know, 90 percent margins. Um and so what Sam Walton did was he flipped it on his head. He's like, if we get this half for $1, we will not make more than 15% or like 20% margin on any of our products. That's what we're going to do. And so if we even get a discount on this hat and we're able to get it for like 10 cents, we're going to sell it for 15 cents, you know, or like if we get it for $1, we're selling it for $1.15, you know, and actually it would actually be, if it's 10 cents, then we're selling it for like 11.15.15, you know, but it, it was crazy. And nobody else was doing that because these retailers, they were so in love with their margin. They were so used to getting such high margins. And that's what happened with um, JCPenney. Because J- when Walmart initially came out, JCPenney was the big guy, you know, and Walmart was actually like dwarfed by them. And so they came and they started doing that. And these guys, they just got massacred. All of these retailers who were so used to these super healthy margins, they couldn't compete with Walmart because they were offering it for so low. And the thing is, Yes, like if you get this half for $1, you can sell like as many as you're going to sell for $10. But when Walmart did that for $1.15, like they would more than make up for the amount of like 
the margin that's lost because they would sell more than 10 extra of them at that rate. Like it was scalable, the model. And that's what he, that's what Sam Walton realized. And that's like one of the biggest things of the book. And so Jeff Bezos doesn't credit Sam Walton, maybe in part because of the fact that that's their massive competitor. But he well, also maybe it's also just the truth. <laughs> but he says that um, the CEO of Costco, because Costco does kind of the same thing. They're really big into discounting as well. And he says that he uh, he went for a meeting with him where he explained this philosophy to him. And then about like it was maybe five years into Amazon. Jeff Bezos suddenly had this obsession with discounting as well. And so his obsession became taking like a very thin margin on the products and passing as much savings as he could to the customer but then what he started doing is that he started like negotiating so at all of the companies that because there's many many retailers that sell on amazon and amazon in many cases accounts for upwards of like 20 percent to like 90 percent of their sales in many cases so the more of the sales that amazon accounted for from jeff bezos and management team because the management is kind of like a reflection of him and what like the way he operates so from their perspective that was something that they could really squeeze like they use that to squeeze their partners so they had very rough relationships with a lot of their partners because they would once they accounted for like a lot of their sales they would start squeezing them and forcing them to give them better deals and then instead of passing the deal like taking more margin from the deal what they would do is they would pass the deal to the customer so they would actually decrease the price they would keep the same margin and they was they were literally squeezing the their partners for the benefit of the customer and you just see it repeated through industry upon industry upon industry and, and the biggest example that i can think of is amazon's rocky relationship with book publishers it's really crazy when um when they started coming up with electronic books or ebooks uh, you know the kindle that they came up with um, so all of the, because Amazon, that was what their first thing was that they came out selling, right? Books. So they, um, there was like this whole project that I think this was actually the project that also in part, no, 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 no. It came on later in the book. So it couldn't have been the thing that drove AWS or got them to invent AWS. But what happened was they decided that they wanted to be the future of eBooks. And there was like this little startup company where they showed them what it was and Jeff Bezos almost tried to acquire them, but he didn't. And then ultimately he ended up coming up with his own private project in like this, um, he, it was like a whole, like he created like a secret facility and he got like a whole bunch of engineers and I can't remember. It was like secret, um, project 106. And it was like, even within Amazon, like only like the top it level. It sounds person. so military. Yeah. It's like, that's how this guy kind of operates though. It's, it's really fascinating. He's like a, He's a really, really interesting entrepreneur. He's incredibly intelligent. Um, and the way he operates is very lean. That's what the biggest takeaway I took from it. Well, actually, one of the biggest takeaways. But yeah, so they got this whole project going. And then what what he did was he wouldn't even tell the book publishers about it. But he was like, he sent his people to go into like the, there's like five big book publishers in the US. So like he sent his executive team to go and, like talk with like Simon and Schuster, Penguin and the, and the other ones and not tell them, Random Hey, House. Random House. Yeah. That's one of them. Not tell them like, Hey, we have this big machine coming. That's going to like revolutionize the way people read or at least try to, um, you guys should start making your, your books in ebook format. And by the way, there was one e-reader before that there was Adobe, Adobe. And I think there was one other company that it's mentioned in the book. I can't remember though. It's eluding me right now. Could it have been but, Blackberry? I don't think so, actually. Not uh, we're, we're talking about e-readers. Um, okay. 
yeah so but there was one thing that was out but there was it was just wasn't widely adapted like there and it was pretty bad you know it wasn't a very good e-reader that was already out but so he sent his executive team to go talk to all of the heads of these publishing organizations and he expressly told them do not mention the kindle project they had a different name for it um it was some girl's name there was like it was inspired by like a movie or something uh but yeah, so he's like, you can't tell them about this, but go and tell them, hey, I think it would be a good idea if you took all of your top books and started converting them into ebook formats, you know, so he, the mission was to go and get these publishers to start doing this. And so obviously, Amazon had a lot of weight. And so the fact that these Amazon executives were going and saying this, it meant something, but it was incredibly difficult. Um, and so eventually, Jeff Bezos had to spill the beans. He had to say, okay, we got this thing in development. And so he did eventually tell them. But what he did not tell them was that he wanted to take the price of all of these books and he was going to keep it at $10 on all of them in the uh, for the Kindle. And the reason why is because they were already squeezing them on margins. Which So Amazon had a very, very rocky relationship with these retailers because of the margins. Because he kept... But that's the thing. All of his partners, all of Amazon's partners they don't keep super good relationships with Amazon is very customer oriented. So they try and do the best by the customer that they possibly can, but the partners, they don't care about, they literally squeeze them for everything they can. They're not pleasant at all to work with that. That's a repeating theme that I, and a vibe that I was getting from like reading about it. But with these book publishers, so he basically got them to convert their books to eBooks. And then he, blindsided all of them later on in the announcement of the Kindle that the books were going to be $10 on the Kindle. And so the book publishers, they were furious. And so they actually, it's funny, they colluded together. Um, and there was like a whole lawsuit later on, but they, they were like, this can't stand because they were getting squeezed and they were worried that Amazon was going to start getting into publishing and just eat them all up, you know, like straight up, like take their business from them. And they, Amazon actually did kind of like want to do that. There was one book they published themselves. Like they paid like, I don't know, some amount of money and like they got publishing rights to a book, but that never came to fruition as like a business, you know? Um, but then, so Steve, this is when Steve Jobs was still alive. And so the publishers, what they did was they came to Apple and they were like, hey, we think it would be a good idea if on this new device that you've got, the iPad there, if you maybe introduced like a reading function, you know. And so what they did, what they did was Apple did do that. And then they were able to like Apple started setting the prices there. And so they, they made it a it was like a legal maneuver and they made it so that Amazon could not charge ten dollars for it and amazon kind of got blindsided and then the sec got involved and um it was like this crazy thing but literally the five biggest book publishers were conspiring against amazon with apple to raise the book prices because amazon was like maneuvering like in these shady ways like trying to get that like and it's all in the name of like the customer experience getting the best deal for the customer it's really crazy yeah that's super interesting but, man like yeah, that story is super interesting. And not this kind of relates, but it's something to do with Amazon that um, <clears throat> they've been talking about for as a goal in like the next few years. Have you heard of like the last mile? Are you familiar? Oh, uh, I that? haven't. I haven't actually. That's um, this idea, this term, the last mile that um, basically 
they want to get to a point where you can order anything and it be at your house within an hour. And they're calling that like the last mile. Like yeah, yeah, like, okay, yeah. That's that's like the ultimate goal, and whoever reaches that first is like, you know, set for, for massive do- advantages. Like just extreme dominance. World domination. Ju- yeah, just just like, just kind of like uh, whatever car company reaches stage five autonomous driving quicker. You know. Um, Kind of like a, a benchmark like that. But yeah, so you've According heard of it? Kaifu, Google's got the advantage for that. Um, And yeah, yeah, I did. They mentioned it in the book a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and when the book was written, they weren't even at one day yet, but they were talking about how it was inevitable for them to get there. And they also talked about it's inevitable for them to get to the one mile. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did hear about it briefly in the book. Yeah. The, the last mile, that's going to be crazy to see, like, because it'll be in our lifetime probably within a few years. And here, okay, here's the, uh, the other really interesting thing. Um, Uber's CEO, uh, like the found one of the founders of Uber, he created this. The project. CEO or the founder? Is it Dara? Dara. It might, like the uh, he's got a he's got a long last name, but I just call him Dara. His his first name is or was it Travis? Travis. It's Travis. It's Travis. Yeah, it's Travis. Okay. Yeah. So he's coming up with uh, this new. He's working on this new startup. Oh, it's called I know. Cloud Kitchen. Yes, I, yeah, this is quite interesting. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. So what they're trying to do is exactly that. They're trying to build a whole bunch of underground like bases where they have all of these products that are within like the main like US cities, basically any major city. And I, I'm sure they'll probably come to Canada and like other countries too eventually. But the US is where they're focusing on. And it's exactly that. I, they're actually joining in the race for this last mile. And they're going to have everything like, and it's food, obviously, because the kitchens that they're going mm-hmm. for, but they're going to literally like, it's going to be like, you want to order like Harvey's, you want to order Wendy's, you literally t- like, just pull up your phone, press a couple buttons and you'll get it like as fast as if you were to order it like in the store. And yeah, it, it, just on that like whole last mile. So even though Amazon does seem like poised to get there, there is actually competition for it. It's not just them. And uh, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely like. Yeah, there is competition, but also the way that, um, like, Cloud Kitchens, the way you described it, it sounds just like Uber Eats. Right, but if yeah. Uber Eats, like, it take, if, if I order something on Uber Eats, like a hamburger, I will not get it for, like, an hour and a half. Like, it's literally, like, cl- like with Cloud Kitchens, if it comes to fruition the way they're talking about, it's literally going to be, like, as if I were in, like, a Wendy's and, you know, I was just waiting in line. And then I get it in the same amount of time or I'm like chilling in my house. And I just like because that if you think about it, like between like the hour 15 that it takes for Uber Eats to get here, as opposed to really like the five to 10, if I were in a restaurant, that's massive. Yeah. And that's what they're looking to eliminate. Like that last like we talk about like the last mile, like that last like, you know, 100 meters. That's really like what it gets down to. It's just Mm -hmm. how close you can get to literally having something instantly deliverable you know, from wherever it is. And I guess it's not entirely competing with Amazon. What is Amazon's core business at this stage? You know, they're in everything. They're trying to disrupt everything. And one of the things they're trying to do is groceries. So I guess they are competing with them on that front. But I also wanted to talk, because you want to talk oh, yeah, a little Whole bit Foods. about the stock, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, Whole Foods, too. I, I completely forgot about that. Also an Amazon-owned um, business. No, I mean, that's the thing about Amazon. They're so richly valued, but they're in so many different businesses. It's really like Amazon is like a holding company and there's just like a hundred different industries that they're all going after at the same time. Mm -hmm. The only thing I wanted to say about the stock really was that um, 
it's kind of a special category. If I looked at the stock like 10 years ago when it was like, I'm not sure what the exact price was, but I'm sure it was exponentially cheaper than it is now. Yeah, if like I 150 at, billion probably. Yeah, if as I opposed to like a trillion. <laughs> yeah, if I looked at at it then, I would, and I looked at just the fundamentals, I would probably still say that this stock is overvalued then, and obviously, it wasn't. So, there's mm-hmm. certain companies that they're very rare companies that you know once in a lifetime kind of things uh, that you kind of have to ignore the fundamentals on a little bit not completely but like you just have to look at the future opportunity of of an amazon and of a like a tesla would be another example of that like tesla if you look at the amount of money tesla was making and even now given the huge jump in stock price you would think wow this stock is very overvalued but it's just an opportunity thing and if you look at the different like uh aspects of all their businesses they they have so many different ways that they're making money and so many different ways that like haven't even they haven't even begun to make them any money but you can the way that these companies execute yeah you just know some of these things are just going to be massive in the future yes um okay on that front real quick so i don't put tesla and amazon necessarily in the same category uh, so Amazon, so the way I see stocks and what's important for me is the future projects because, you know, cash flow is important. Obviously, that's like the Warren Buffett way of like looking at it. You know, you look at like the accounting statements, how much cash is coming yeah, in. Yeah, like how the pure they fundamentals. Are the business. Yes. But projects are equally important because there's always like with all of these tech, like the innovations that are like have been happening in technology, they're going like up like this. It's an exponential curve, you know. And so the thing is, if you it, like the comp- companies like Tesla, you know, autonomous driving, that's the future. And so they, that their project is something that's going to be incredible. And so that's going to really like it's going to do big things for them when it comes. Accounting wise, they don't look that healthy, though. And the thing is, especially right now, you know, like above fifteen hundred dollars, bro, like and they're valued at like two hundred billion. Bro, the revenue isn't even 20 billion or like isn't even 30 billion. Like their revenue isn't even a tenth of their value, and that's not—we're not talking about net profit or anything. Like it's crazy what Tesla's valued at, and I personally believe Tesla's due for a correction. The thing is, though, I don't know if it's going to happen because everybody is realizing how crazy good of a company Tesla is, and like they're investing in all of the right things. Like it's funny when Tesla was like two hundred dollars and the ship was sinking. Me and you were talking about this, and I was like you know singing the shit out of the praise of tesla i'm like bro they got everything like they are the future all of these other companies are following them and their new technological advances and now everybody's seeing it that way and i'm like sitting here like fuck i want it to go down because i want to buy it and on t- but on top of that it is not worth what it's at right now like it's like it is given a super premium because people are finally understanding what's going on with them you yeah. know but their cash flows like it's disgusting but bro. it will be worth that and way more than that in a few years i have no doubt opinion. yes i have no doubt yeah uh yeah okay before is, we um so, so um you were you mentioned something about projects um oh my god it, sorry it i lost my train of thought but it was something about projects um yeah because most of these companies they have like 
three or four or five like big projects that they're investing in. And so that's like when I value a company or like we try and value a company based off my own metrics, what I really look at number one is like from like the Warren Buffett value investing perspective, like is this a really good business that has solid cash flow that keeps coming in like that pays dividends. But then for me, what the most important thing is the projects, you know, if the valuation is a little bit high, but the projects are really what's like, I believe the future's at, like, you know, if they're going like machine learning, you know, autonomous driving, which is kind of machine learning, um, cloud, cloud computing, those things, like, what are they investing in? What are those four or five big projects? And if it's where the future's at, like if it's in, if it's investing in technology, then that I, I give them like a much higher multiplier, but Tesla is just like astronomical, like out in Pluto multiplier wise. So I would never buy Tesla at this price, even though I believe they're going to be double this price, like in probably not the super distant future. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I believe that too. I, you know, if I didn't, yeah, even if I didn't own Tesla stock, I'd have a hard time buying, but like it's a hard no for me buying anymore, given that my cost basis is like two hundred dollars. So, yeah, well, I was about to say you're in a beautiful position with that, and I also love the hold forever mentality, um, which Especially I should have with followed Tesla, with Tesla. Man. I fucked up with that big Yo, time. Tesla is the biggest hold forever company ever. That, I couldn't agree more. That's yeah. like if if Tesla went up to like three thousand dollars tomorrow, I still wouldn't sell. Yeah, and that's like, for real. That's the problem with the hold for everything, though, bro, because it gets so ludicrous sometimes because the hype is just like the stock market. Anybody, any economics professor who tells you that there's any merit at all to like the perfect efficiency of the stock market, bro, they they have no clue what they're talking about because the stock market could not be more inefficient. The stock market literally goes entirely based on hype, bro. Like all these like for anybody who doesn't know, the efficiency model is like saying that everything it's people who believe that all things are factored into the stock of the stock price of any given company all of like the public information all the private information and it's ludicrous because if that were true then why do the companies even report earnings you know yeah like also the stock market is not as you know the stock market is not the economy right well yeah of course but what i'm saying is uh, like i'm talking about markets did i say economy no, 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 you didn't. But just like, you know, people, you mentioned how people think that it all factors into a stock price, but it really doesn't. The, right. you know, the yeah, phrase, market efficiency theory. Yeah, that's what most people, I, I think most people would not, or like economics professors would tell you, yeah, they're not efficient. But the couple who do, bro, like, they're all, they're out there, bro. <laughs> they have no clue what's going on because there's so many of these, like, academics who they just study the theory behind it and they don't go and like actually invest with their own money in the market you know but they can tell like they can tell you everything about like a, a textbook on the matter you know but it's like you got to actually understand what you teach it, it drives me crazy bro I, and this is kind of goes like a little bit deeper into a different topic you know of like teachers who aren't really practitioners of what they're teaching in business school but that's like a little pet peeve of mine and that's a little bit off topic um i did also want to so I think we are running like towards the end of the episode, but I did also want to bring one more story in about Amazon because um, sure. I-, I was looking for the name of it. It's just like to show like the ferocity of like their competitiveness and the way these guys operate. Like they, like you really don't want to be a partner with Amazon if you don't have to, you know, it's nice because they drive your sales up, but they squeeze every little bit of leverage they have. You know, they're, they're not like 
you would almost say they don't operate in good faith. Like they take that and it's, it's just like the sad truth, but there was this knife um, company. They manufactured these premium knives and they had like a rich history, you know, like they were around for like 50 years plus. And so they started selling their knives on Amazon. And so most knives they sell for like 20, 25 bucks. And I'm just giving, and I'm not saying that's the actual amount, but I'm just giving the example. Um, so these guys, they're selling for like $120. And they have these things that they enforce called minimum advertised price that any retailer that they select, they have to sell for at this price and they can't go below it. And it, the reason why is because, you know, if retailers start to undercut each other, it turns their product into a commodity or it gets it more towards that. And it's a very premium product and they're known for their quality. And so Amazon started selling, so they started selling their product on Amazon. They got approved to be a retailer and Amazon started going below this minimum advertised price. And the thing is, it's not actually legally enforceable, this minimum advertised price. But the reason why companies don't go below it is because the distributor or like, or pardon me, not the distributor, Amazon is the distributor, but the company itself will cut you off. They'll, say, they'll start saying, oh, you can't buy this anymore from us. You know, we're going to stop selling to you because you're going below the amounts. And so what happened with Amazon is they started listing the products below the amount and Amazon. So it reached to a point where Amazon was accounting 40% of this company's sales. And, but then they started getting like calls from all these other companies that were selling the same products. They're like, we can't compete. Amazon's like they're playing dirty. And so they tried to talk with Amazon. Um, they got like one of the executives, one of Jeff Bezos's reports, you know, and they talked with him and they're like, okay, no problem. We're going to like fix it. And they just didn't. And so months went by and eventually these guys decided, okay, well, you know what? Fuck it. We're not going to sell to Amazon anymore. So they literally lost like 40% of the revenue doing that. And so they kept on, they kept selling and Amazon, Amazon basically, they went on it like, so they kept selling their products actually, but they just weren't getting it from them. They were getting it through third party, um, other distributors, you know? And so, the thing is, though, they couldn't sell it for the same price because when you have a direct link to the connect, obviously you can get it for cheaper because that's like, you know, they're the ones making it. They have the factory connections. But a couple months later, Amazon decided like, OK, this was a good product for us. And they sent like a courtesan basically to go and like get these guys and entice them back into doing business with them. And so they went and initially the company's like, no way, we're not touching like this. Like we're not going down that rabbit hole with you. You know, it was great when we were selling a lot, but you don't like respect our minimum advertised prices, you know, and they're like, no, it'll be different this time. You know, trust me, everything will be good. You know, and they're like, nope, nope. And so Amazon was pissed. <laughs> and so, but they kept going, they were adamant and they kept, they sent the quarters on, they kept going and eventually they agreed. And, you know, within two months, Amazon was back to their old tricks, you know, <laughs> they were doing the same shit again and they were selling below that amount. And so this time they called them, they're like, hey, you know, like we're never going to deal with you again. And so then this Amazon, instead of like the carrot, they tried to use the stick. They're like, oh, you want to like threaten us? Like, OK, well, you do that. What we're going to do is we're going to start selling your competitors and we're going to go and we're going to get third party retailers selling your same product. And we're going to list it for below the price that you guys are selling for. And like, you know, we're going to basically like obliterate you, you know, and we're like Amazon was literally going to operate at like a loss. And this is another thing. Um, That's another great story. Diapers.com, how they got them to sell to Amazon. But that's a, a side thing. So basically, Amazon threatened the shit out of them because they, they had the power to do that. And it was a legal threat, too, you know. 
And these guys are like, fuck you, we're taking our knives out of your stores. And Amazon did like deliver on the threat, you know, but obviously the company, they ended up doing fine. But that it just gives you an idea of the nightmare that is working with Amazon in a position of where they have high leverage. And re- real quick also, again, like um, we might be running a little bit over time, but it's worth it. <laughs> uh, so Amazon was in the diaper space as well. And this new company, diapers.com, came up. Uh, and the CEO who made that, by the way, uh, this is particularly for you, Max. Uh, he did like an interview with Tom Bilyeu recently in the last week. I watched it. It's really, really good. Uh, I can't remember his name, but you'll. It, it's like titled Self-Made Billionaire. Uh, it talks about like his secrets or something. But yeah, so the guy as well. who, uh, you know I who I'm talking about? Yeah, I forget it. I forget his right. name, though. The diapers.com guy? Yeah, anyways, go on. I'll, I'll find the name. Yeah, so they started selling these diapers. Um, and so they uh, they kind of copied Jeff Bezos' philosophy. And they were going for, like, the uh, like a lot of his philosophies. And they were going for, like, the discounting kind Is of Is it Mark option. Moore? Yes, yeah. yeah. And so what, what they did was... Um, so they managed to build up a business. They raised a ton of capital. And Mark Lohr, he's got a tremendous amount of business acumen. And he was kind of doing the same thing that Amazon was doing. And he was selling them for very cheap. And so Amazon was in talks to acquire them. And Mark Lohr, initially, he did not want to sell. And so Amazon, what they started doing was they started discounting their diapers to the point where they were losing $100 million a year in sales. And they were just doing it to squeeze diapers.com. And so and eventually, diapers.com started feeling it. And then... Um, Walmart started like getting in talks to buy it too. Cause again, Amazon and Walmart, two juggernauts that were like really head to head. And there was like a, a big amount of competition there. And so what Amazon did was like, they further, they introduced like this subscribe and save option for diapers where on top of the hundred million that they were already losing a year on this, like as it went, they introduced a 25% discount on top of that if you agreed to subscribe to this diaper delivery service, you know, for families that had new babies. And so they like, but the thing was, they were such like, they had so much money, so much capital, they were doing so much business that they could afford to. And so diapers.com, they couldn't afford to compete with them. And so eventually they were forced to sell. And so Walmart tried to swoop in and buy it. And they told them, if you sell to Walmart, because you're still going to be running the business, like, we are going to maintain this. We are going to squeeze the shit out of you. Your business will just go bankrupt, like, straight up. And so Jeff Bezos squeezed him into selling for a lot less than the company was actually worth. And that's just, like, to Dude, give you an so idea cool. of the way that Amazon operates. Like, these guys are beasts, bro. And that's Yo, also that, why... That's some, like, that's some, like, gangster shit. Like, that's, like, a, it is. Like a yeah. mafia. That's, that's what real gangsters are, though, bro. Yeah. That's not, you know, like, forget about... What's his name, um... Teflon Don, bro, Jeff Bezos, and like yeah. his like non-charismatic gangster ways, you know. That that's an actual like gangster move. That yeah, that's see, that's like, how they do, and yeah. it's legal too. That's the other thing; it's fully legal. But that's why, like, you know, it is, people say like, "Oh, you're 21 years old, bro. Like, why are you taking everything so seriously? Why are you trying to like read like a book a day and like get all like this knowledge?" Because, bro, as an entrepreneur, they don't discriminate. They don't care how old you are. They don't care that I'm 21. It's all like all is fair in the game of war when it comes to like what you can get away with in these kinds of businesses. And that's how these guys operate. Like that's what you're up against trying to create a startup in these days. And so, you know, like that is crazy. It's like Monopoly, man. That's what it sounds like. Almost. Up, yeah, almost up against these other guys that want to take all your money, but. And have all of the power to do it. Like that can literally lose hundreds of millions of yeah. dollars. Squeeze you. 
like because they feel like it <laughs> you exactly. know Wadi, those were some great stories man thanks for sharing those i i enjoyed that a lot even just like sitting back and listening to a lot of them and uh yeah I, i'm sure the listeners did too but um having listened to this episode what should they do after yeah, check us out on whatonearthmedia.com. If you're not following us on Instagram, you're missing out. I'd say you should probably get on that. You know, we're everywhere. It's TikTok, although not on the JJ podcast for TikTok. It's What on Earth Media. Uh, but check us out, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. And what's up? YouTube, too, particularly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, and you can watch the, the video of this on YouTube, not just the audio. So, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Love you lots. Talk to you soon. Yeah, take care, guys.